Thank you for tuning in to The Arts in Business, a podcast that explores how artistic sensibilities can positively impact the business world. Many aspects of our daily existence are impacted by small and big businesses, and conversations around sustainability and customer-centered engagements have become more prevalent in the past years. Artists engage with existential questions of our human existence and can challenge many of our common business practices. How can an artistic lens or the sensibilities that an artist uses in their daily practice improve the way businesses are run and how they communicate? Through interviews with entrepreneurs, artists and professionals, the show investigates how our communities can be transformed by actively engaging an artistic lens in our professional settings. I am Sebastian Grube an artist, entrepreneur, and communications professional who aims to build a more compassionate world through amplifying voices. I am also the founder of Beyond Comms, a communications agency that unearths and amplifies the stories that inspire founders to build sustainable and impactful businesses. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us for this first episode of the Arts in Business. Uh, my first guest is Henny Ward. Um, she has three plus years of experience in marketing and content strategy with small businesses and startups in the arts and tech industries. She graduated together with me from New York University Abu Dhabi, where she studied theater and literature. Henny thoughtfully reflects and her thesis um, for her bachelor's was focused on exploring performativity on social media and essentially looking at applying her academic research in the everyday which was so exciting and wonderful to witness and um, Henny and I have been friends for a very long time so it's it's really wonderful to kick this podcast off with you. Um, welcome. Thank you so much for having me I'm so excited. Thank you for being here oh and I forgot to mention you currently work for Husby. Um, I do which is your current employer. Maybe we'll get into that um, later down the line. Definitely. All right. Something that I ask everyone to do is uh, to bring a vessel and their beverage of choice. So I'll start. Um, something that makes brings comfort, because I know that these uh, recordings and moments, no matter how um, experienced you are and how many times you do it, they are always a little bit nerve-wracking. And I like to have a beverage with me. Um, that brings me comfort when I have meetings or recordings where I can just grab to and go to and say, okay, a moment of calm. So my beverage today is a blue mug um, made out of ceramic and I have apple tea in it since I'm calling from Istanbul, Turkey. I love apple tea. The apple tea is, is so good. And yeah, so that's my beverage of choice today. I bought this uh, back in Abu Dhabi and it's just my vessel for tea. I always drink tea in it because it's big and nice. So Henny, what did you bring today we're actually we're kind of matching because i also have a um, a purple purplish bluish mug um it's also giant which is one of the reasons i love it um and inside i have a yorkshire tea which is my drink of my comfort drink um i drink tea all day but it's just the one thing from home that i really experience every day um and this mug i feel like i have mugs that punctuate different moments in my life <laughs> randomly <laughs> and because it's one of the first things you buy right when you move to a new com a new country it's like you need something in your kitchen to drink from especially if you're like me and you're always drinking tea so this is a mug I brought when I moved from uh, Abu Dhabi to Dubai so this mm. kind of punctuates this moment in my life moving from MOU Abu Dhabi into uh, my career nice amazing this podcast is all about bringing artistic sensibilities and the arts more into the business setting or corporations because I believe that that will create more sustainable business practices. So let's start off with more of a general question. Um, when I say artistic sensibilities, what does that mean to you? When I was looking at these questions, you sent them to me before. I was like, hmm, this has been to me the, the easy first ones, but it actually is maybe one of the harder questions. Um, I think the first thing I thought of when I heard artistic sensibilities is just the awareness that I get through the practices that I've learned, um, the arts practices that I've um, been part of or, or uh, studied um, and what, how I use that as a lens to look at things now. Mm. So what are the arts, artistic practices that you've been a part of that you've studied? 
I would say there's two main ones. Um, first being acting, um, performance itself. So literally being on stage. Um, and the second being the theory of that. So um, more specifically performance studies, but also um, the history of theater as well. Um, and they complement and battle with each other. So the theory of studying performance, and I would assume also maybe the act of writing as, mm -hmm. as an artistic practice. Um, Definitely. I know you write a lot now too, probably for your job. Um, and, and studying acting. What are the, what are lenses that you've applied based on those practices um, that you can talk about? Yes, for sure. Yeah, writing, I didn't even mention it because to me it's such a, <laughs> it's such an everyday. But yeah, it's huge. Writing, part of my uh, study was actually, I mean, everything was revolved around writing. Even if I was performing, a lot of it was focused on writing. Um, but even like creative writing, like poetry or, or um, storytelling. Um, and like you said, in my day-to-day -day job, writing is the most important um, or one of the most important things. So I think through uh, acting, the biggest lens I now look through is um, empathy. I think um, there's something so vulnerable about stepping into someone else's skin and thinking about that character and how they would feel in the situation and even just the act of being in a rehearsal room and, and letting yourself be vulnerable in front of other people, which is mm -hmm. so terrifying. Um, you have to build these layers of empathy and you learn how to do that. Like it's not just something you walk into and you're like, oh yes, empathy, I know, I know that. Um, I really think it's part of the acting training and it's a muscle that you build. Um, and now I, I try and use it in my everyday work with thinking about um, the user or the customer and, and what they're feeling at certain points. So they're not just a, a number or a name uh, or a user, uh, they're a human being and they have feelings and I'm trying to imagine that, seeing like through that lens of uh, empathy and putting myself in their shoes, what does that look like? Um, and then on the flip side with writing and performance studies, uh, like going hand in hand is like the power of words. Um, I was just thinking about this recently. I was writing a post and it was really the, the, the impact that words can have on us as humans and how they can literally move mountains. Um, and we use them so flippantly, uh, especially now in, in, in the tech world where we're creating so much, there's so much content out there um, and really being thoughtful about what we put into the world and how we phrase things and the way we're writing things. I think that's where I'm using this lens from both performance studies and, and writing in general, creative writing. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, empathy as having done acting training myself, uh, I, I completely relate to that. I think empathy and, uh, having to kind of strip yourself down emotionally in front of other people in a rehearsal <laughs> space or a performance, uh, it teaches you empathy and, and yeah, yeah. Have like working on different people's on different playwrights, uh, um, projects and, and writing and, and their voice or the voices that they're giving to characters is I think really, um, teaches you a lot on, on how you can imagine yourself being in someone else's shoes and yeah, yeah writing myself now, the power of words, uh, is definitely that rings true it's <laughs> choosing your words carefully makes a lot of a lot of sense and um definitely leaves an impact on on the people that read them hopefully mm -hmm. in either obvious or not so obvious ways but um yeah. that's kind of go down the route of empathy um you were talking about so maybe talk about um you're working for husby now uh give us a really quick introduction of of husby maybe three kind of high level summary of what the company is and does and then what do you do with them perfect okay so i'm currently working as a ux content strategist um, at husby and husby is a, a prop tech it's in its second year of operation we're really looking to define a new category in the prop tech space which is really exciting um so we're we're trying to basically empower the whole eco ecosystem um 
in multiple different ways, but right now it's a very broken system. There are so many different complicated parts to this. There's the brokers, there's the agents, there's the home buyers, and there's Maybe nothing that's really connected. Maybe to interject briefly for the mm -hmm. listeners, PropTech is property technology. Um, so yes. anything related to real estate property, things like that. Continue, this sorry. Is, just to, <laughs> no, yeah. no, this is one of the issues with being in the startup world. You start saying acronyms that no one else, <laughs> if they're outside of the startup world, knows. So you're just throwing like acronyms and, and abbreviations. So thank you. Um, yeah, property tech. Um, and we're basically trying to empower the ecosystem um, through technology. So building systems that helps everyone in this ecosystem to do their job easier, better, faster, um, and hopefully bringing more pleasure to the act of buying a home for the home buyer um, and the people working in order to help that person. Because at the end of the day, the goal for all of these people in this ecosystem is to help that person get their property. Um, so it's really just thinking of how to do that. Um, through these different products and, and different processes. Um, and a little bit of about a little bit about UX content strategy because it's one of these um, startup-y kind of new new jobs that aren't so well known and still not yet defined. Um, it's something even within Husby we're trying to work out. Even to this day, we're not sure that strategy is actually the word that we should be using. There's also uh, content design, which is what our department is actually called. So my manager is the, the head of content design at Husby. And content design or content strategy is a mixture of strategy, emotional intelligence, UX writing, um, process building. It's really thinking about the holistic journey of a user and then thinking how to make sure that their journey through a specific product or web or whatever the journey is. Um, makes sense basically and, it, and is easy to use. So whether that's uh, writing CTAs on a, on a product screen or thinking about information hierarchy on a website, um, what happens when they click the button next? Does it make sense that they move to that page or not? Um, the transactional comms for this journey, do they need to be talked to at this point or not? Do they need help at this point or not? Um, what information can we give them at certain points of the journey that will make their lives easier? Um, so we work really closely with product designers and product managers. So we sit uh, firmly in a product team um, and with engineers too. So it's really cool to be embedded in a product squad and really be part of the journey of building something um, and hopefully trying to make the, the user experience as good as possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, for our listeners, Henny is writing on Medium as well about what it means to be a UX content strategist and the difficulties with the definition of the job title, um, what it entails moving from marketing manager to, um, to UX content strategist. So definitely check that out. Mm -hmm. They're really awesome articles. And I look forward to the other ones <laughs> that are hopefully going to come. Thank you. Um, uh, let's look into let's continue down that road of empathy so mm -hmm. you talked about um husby your current role and uh when you're talking about empathy you're you're talking about imagining yourself in in the user's shoes mm -hmm. i assume you probably have buyer personas the usual marketing um kind of elements that will allow you to to kind of imagine a person um but what describe a situation to me when you use that kind of sensibility of empathy that you've acquired through acting training in a professional context yeah so i mean it's something i try to use all day every day um where we see ourselves as the the representative of the the human at the end of the product so whilst maybe there's people pushing for numbers people pushing for ease of uh the code or whatever it is um one of our responsibilities is always remembering but but what what would the is this good for the user is this uh beneficial is this a good user experience what are they going to get out of it? Um, so for example, right now I'm in the process of building the onboarding flow um, for our agent squad. So I, I work with the agent squad at the moment. So this is with um, B2B. So where we partner with agents um, and they send their mortgage leads to us through uh, an app that we have. And right now we have a very people heavy onboarding process where our account managers go to the agencies and they onboard them on our products. So we really want to take some of that weight off of the, the team and do that flow through comms. So 
so I'm thinking of this journey and I'm thinking at what points do these agents need information? Like, when do they need help? And when do they need us to step back and just let them do their jobs? Because they're also experts. So it's thinking through as an agent using this product, at what points will I need help? What information do I need to move from A to B? Um, what things will be helpful for me in my career to build my career as an agent or as a professional? Um, and how can we give that whilst also making sure that the product is at the forefront of that too, right? So mm. the product is there to help them. So making sure that they know that that's, that's what we're here for and how to use it to the best of their ability and then also giving them additional information. So literally building out this this flow of emails and WhatsApps and pushes of what point we should be interacting with them. Because there's, I think you'll know from your experience in marketing, there's this mm. need to feel like we always need to be talking to them. Like we always need to be top of yeah. mind. There's this, there's this saying like, have to be top of mind. Like when's the last time they heard from us? Um, when did they last open an email? Uh, but one of the things for a content design and content strategy is that it's the right content at the right time at the right place, right? So it's thinking through with empathy uh, what that content is, what time that is, and what channel that is. Um, and if they don't need to hear from us, that's not a bad thing. That actually can be a good sign. Um, so I think just experiences like that, I'm like, oh, this my my acting training and my my performance studies has really helped me just think through journeys and storytelling and um, being in someone else's shoes. And also we've been mm. consumers too, right? Like I think often when we step into a professional role like marketing or, or a content designer, any role um, that involves selling or promoting, we forget that we also like when we get bombarded with emails we're just like oh delete oh i hear even if you love the company <laughs> like if you get 10 emails from someone you're gonna get frustrated and you're gonna start reading yeah um yeah. so even just remembering how you feel when uh, when when you receive these emails uh or these comms and what what things that you loved when you've received them or when you know that the comms haven't really been truthful like there's always these um we miss you emails do you really miss mm -hmm. me like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's thinking about this like there's there's no point in lying we're, we're all smart enough now and all tech savvy enough that we we have these experiences um and i think it's being mindful and intentional and empathetic uh, we can create better content and create better user experiences yeah and and you're you're already noticing words that are necessarily aren't necessarily acting related or acting focused but the ones that are more in our common vernacular mindfulness mm -hmm. um I would call it also self-reflection, but I think acting training can really open up this muscle and really train this muscle of, of being self-reflective. And when you're going through an emotion or through an experience, just to kind of keep a little bit something in the mm -hmm. back of your mind to say, oh, this is how I feel at this point, okay? And then applying that to your to your profession. But yeah, yeah you don't want to oversaturate your audience or, or potential partners in it with communications. That's yeah. If I get 10, 10 emails from, from a place, even though I love them, I'm going to unsubscribe. Yes. I, I, just, I don't want to have their emails in my inbox. Yeah. So, um, yeah. How much would you say, because I, I assume you're also working with quite a bit of data mm -hmm. um, being in a tech startup. Yes. How much is the data, is, is the data helpful that you're receiving? At what point does it get too much and you need to get to a human connection to, Talk a little bit about that if you if you can. Yeah, for sure. Data is hugely important in startups and tech startups specifically. Um, and before I worked at Husby, I worked in Munchan, a food tech startup, and I worked in a growth team. So numbers then mm. were <laughs> like everything. Uh, it was all about yeah. the numbers. Um, and so right now with Husby, um, I work within the design team and specifically under content design and UX research is our bread and butter. It's hugely important for us to have like real people interact with our products and test them and watch them do it and see how they're interacting with the screens and if they're pressing a button and why they're pressing the button. And if they're confused with a, a call to action, why are they confused? Um, super important. 
We also send out a lot of surveys. Um, we do a lot of calls to our partners just to check in. So these type, this type of research is ongoing all the time, every day. Um, and it's really important for, for design and, and UX content specifically um, to build products that work for our users. Saying that, <laughs> there is a point <laughs> um, where you just have to test. And also another big thing at startups in general is testing. We don't always have the luxury of time. We also don't always have the luxury of huge pools um, of uh, applicants to test. Um, so a lot of it is testing. So whether that's A-B testing or if it's launching a product and if it fails, starting again. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I think there is there's a point where you have to just go. Um, we say like, take it and fly at Husby, like just do it and fly. And then if you fail, start again, it's not an issue. Um, so that's been really exciting actually working in that kind of environment where it's okay to fail. Um, it's, it's a learning and we, as long as you iterate from that learning, then you're good, right? Um, and then in the more marketing data kind of growth side, um, I think, again, you have to be careful of the noise of data uh, and really look at it objectively and know what the target is. And if you're all aligned on it, if it is just to get hits on a blog, okay, if we're all aligned on that and that is the reason, if you have a really good reason for that and we're all okay with it, that's what we're going for. But we all have to be aligned. Um, so I think that this... It can, it can fuzzy the conversation, but it's so important. And I think as long as the discussion is clear um, and the outcome is clear and the objective is clear and you're using data in the correct way um, and you're not using it as a weapon or uh, as, a, as a scapegoat, you know, like I feel like sometimes it can be like, oh, yeah. we, the numbers are low here, so we can't do that. Like, well, maybe we try it a different way, you know, so there, there are, are pitfalls you can fall into. But data is so important, especially, um, like you said, the human side. So there's like numbers and, and clicks and interactions, but there's also like how a human interacts with something. Um, so having both those, I think, is super important. And then taking it objectively. Talk a little bit more about what, what you mean by that, taking it objectively. There's always more research to be done. <laughs> and there's, there's always more people to, to do the research. Um, and things change so fast. Uh, so I think specifically in the industry right now in property tech, um, the market changes so frequently. So what might have been researched and, okay, yes, we, we think X because of X. Maybe the market changes and that is no longer reliable data. Um, so it's always this like keeping your finger on the pulse um, and and keeping the research up. Like you're never the research is never done, um, and everything should be tested. So we're always trying to A/B test. Like whether it's the subject line of an email or if it's a whole campaign or if it's a screen that someone sees on a product. Like just always trying to test to see to optimize um, and make sure that we're giving the best experience and and. Um, for both the business and for the, the customer and and making sure that you learn from those mistakes. So if you're you're testing something that you take that learning and you do something with it. Because otherwise you just have all this data and it's just building up and it's not it's not being used for any good. It's kind of like the the facade of like, oh I'm doing I'm doing the, the research so we're good, but you have to implement the research, you have to test the research. Um, and then you have to keep researching again. Yeah, yeah. You have to build up your data set and then research again for another data set, essentially, exactly. in, in, in a way. I think also, um, maybe to kind of clarify or take my what I'm hearing from you, mm -hmm. um, from what you were saying, I think defining exactly what KPIs you want to work with is important with the amount of data we have to really say, okay, yes, we're just looking at the clicks on that blog. We don't care about mm -hmm. the time people spend reading. We don't care how far down the page they went. We might record that, but we're just looking at the clicks and, and to 
to agree as a team on that on that saying okay this is the metric that we're going to focus on yeah um so that the conversation and the strategy that comes out of that is focused and and relevant um and everyone can kind of agree uh on that and the other the other thing i wanted to highlight too was because it's you're moving so fast and you constantly have to test and reiterate there might not be the time to look at the data and to analyze the data that you have or as was the case when I started my, my previous job at the um, NYU AD Art Gallery, marketing didn't exist before. So there wasn't really any data there that I could go off of um, mm. or essentially have as, a, as an underlying kind of basis and foundation to say, oh, okay, this data shows me this, so we should develop that strategy. And I think in that moment, um, maybe that skill of empathy that you've learned is exactly the one that can give you an edge over a test that you're doing because instead of just throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks you can say what would my user or what would my users most likely respond to what would i like to respond to if i was in their shoes and build the test on that and that maybe i don't know i would like to hope that gives you some kind of an edge maybe in that moment a hundred percent yeah i totally agree it's it's being intentional again. It's it's hmm. not just throwing things out, not just throwing content out, not just throwing tests out for the sake of it, but like you said, aligning on a common goal um, and testing whatever it is that your hypothesis is. So you, al you align on your hypothesis, you align on your goal, and then you can run, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you take that, that result and you use it. Um, yeah. And the I think the empathy is really important there too empathy in a different sense actually like so yes you do this test and if it if it fails okay like so actually it has to be we one of our values our company values is empathy over ego so it's be like okay we were wrong <laughs> like this fail fast kind of mentality we were wrong we're not just gonna like keep going with it because we really thought this hypothesis was the one that was gonna be right <laughs> and and like being empathetic about it and being like okay yeah we we got it put the ego yeah. to the side and try something new yeah nice yeah i also i was just thinking when you said um i forget the exact word that you used but uh to make a decision and run with it essentially or to mm -hmm. test and and continue it makes me think of the our making theater class um with ruben polendo and yeah. and him just saying you need to make a choice just make a choice but commit to that choice a hundred percent and and then make another choice if that doesn't, yeah, make another choice if that doesn't work. So um, that, I think that for me, that taught me so much and just kind of commit to a choice and run with it rather than continuously doing A-B testing or whatever and not quite ever making a choice. So you, you're mm -hmm. kind of just making big, broad strokes that don't lead you anywhere. Um, but if you don't have the budget maybe to, to do an A-B test or you don't have the time or the team commit to one run that for two weeks see where it goes if it works if it doesn't work do another one and then switch it that's kind of the method that i had started to adopt um but that kind of just commit commit and go with it and yeah. then make another choice yeah, yeah letting go of that fear of that decision just make yeah. it <laughs> and run with it like <laughs> you said exactly yeah um all right i want to move over a little bit to um to your literature background and the lens because we you talked about empathy and then you talked about the power of words um, and really choosing choosing the words that you want to use talk to me about a, a situation when that when one specific example when that occurred to you or so every day i'm writing content <laughs> mm. um and often within product the space like on an app you have limited space so what content makes it onto the screen uh, is very intentional and very uh, chosen very carefully. Something that I always struggled with, with making a survey or um, thinking about what to put at the end of an ad, um, what word, and I mean, apps is a completely different space in that sense, but talk to me about the design of a button or um, something that a person needs to click. What are the words that go there why how do you choose those words i think you will have seen it where you see buttons that are like i'm interested or um i'm excited to join your newsletter like and and the button is speaking for you so the button literally puts words in your mouth um and this is something i try to avoid actually 
So remembering that you are on an interface um, and trying not to blur that line too much. Um, so I never want to assume something of the user, of the, of the human at the end of this product. So especially if it's something, yes, I'm so excited. And you're like, someone's just at their home, like, I'm not excited. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but now I have to, now you're putting these words in my mouth. And now I, I feel like, a, like this isn't a representation of what I feel right now, right? Um, mm. So I think it can seem boring, like a little less creative than like the ad space or this like kind of like copywriting world, which you get to, Sometimes there are there are spaces for fun in in um, UX writing for sure, but it's very specific. Whereas you can be a little bit more jazzy in an ad. You want to almost disappear in the sense uh, like the copy shouldn't be like loud and and stand out, but it's essential for the user journey. There are really cool depictions where you see like a food uh, delivery app and they've removed all the content. And there's just no way to, to nav navigate it. There's just, it's very hard to navigate without content. But at the same time, you're not like, oh, I, I remember all the content that's on my favorite food delivery app. Like, yeah. <laughs> it just exists and it serves a purpose and it makes your life easier when you're trying to order food. Um, so I think it's super important in UX writing specifically to have that in mind. Um, again, putting your ego out the door a little bit. Maybe you want to <laughs> make the, the best sentence in the world with the most catchy phrase, but it's not actually the right phrase for the user or the the correct word on a button i love i love what you said uh you, you almost have to disappear um in that in that journey i mean like really bad examples would be you click a button that says sign up or you click a button that says learn more but then you end up on a form that asks for your email address as a user yes. i'm gonna say i i don't want to um exactly but i think the like for me the fun would be in um do I write learn more and they get a piece of text or do I write discover and they end up on some kind of interactive platform where they can really discover more about the company and, and learn in a different sense. So I think that like really thinking about what emotion you want to evoke in the user, maybe in a way, I don't know. Is that, yeah. does that no, resonate? Or? Totally. Yeah. You like, I could spend hours trying to figure out the right word for a button. <laughs> I feel like the, the less space you have for content, the harder it is to create. Um, like if you ask me to write a hundred, uh, a hundred page essay, I could type away for hours. But if you write, ask me to write a button, like I'll, I really have to think about what two maximum words I'm going to fit onto this button. Um, so yeah, like your example is great. Like discover versus learn more. Um, it's exactly that. Like, what do you want to evoke? What is the next part of the journey? What is your, your brand voice? Um, what does the user expect from you? Uh, does the, does the user, um, would the user understand what discover means? Uh, so like yeah. just thinking through like, yeah, you could, you can debate it for hours. Like, and also there's, I mean, there's, there definitely are some wrong choices, but there's no like one right <laughs> choice so again it's like you could test this and it could be a super interesting test to see like discover versus learn more um which one people interacted with more and then which one went further on in their journey from that that's great um yeah let me let me ask you a couple more questions mm -hmm. uh maybe ones that might be easier and quicker to answer but you've worked <laughs> uh what do you do to keep honing and developing your sensibilities at this point you're a busy person working and having a life generally what do you do to keep honing those sensibilities yeah i feel this is you say this these are the easier questions but <laughs> also tricky Sorry. um no i when i saw this question i also i thought hard about it because i think so for example i haven't seen a theater production in literally years um same sorry just and i've like i haven't <laughs> seen a theater production in at least two two years or so i've just thought about it the other day i was like where's which theater is, in my life yeah exactly yeah. which is crazy because it was such a huge part of my life for so long mm. um and then i blame covid but then it's been there's been time since then <laughs> and i i haven't made time for it um but then when i thought deeper into it i over the last year, I've been discovering the world of content design. I've been moving and transitioning from marketing to content design and 
figuring out what that is and, and how that works. I've, I've been studying a lot um, and reading a lot in this new world. Um, so I think even just flexing that muscle, like learning something new and seeing something through a different lens, again, is kind of that, uh, that lens that we use in theater so often is just relearning something or, or using a specific lens. Um, so now, for example, I'm looking through like everything through content design, like I'm, everything is like UX writing or content <laughs> strategy or, or a process uh, um, or a potential workshop. Um, so I feel like uh, that's consumed a lot of my year, um, the last year. Um, and then I also listen to a lot of podcasts just about just about life in general, like the most random topics. Um, and I feel like, again, learning, this links more to performance studies, I guess, but mm. learning about different people and weird things that they've done or cool things that they've explored or uh, the way that certain people think about certain things. Um, so I, I always find podcasts where just people talking who I would never get the, I would never normally have these people in my life. Mm. It's like this, the little, um, sneak peek into other people's uh, minds and thoughts and discussions, which I love. Um, and I love how accessible it is now. Like I can, I listen to podcasts on my way to work. Um, but definitely there's, I, I do miss um, being in theaters, watching and maybe less so being on stage, but being involved <laughs> in the process. Yeah. Um, definitely miss that. And I've only recently started writing again for myself and not writing for work, which has been huge. Um, and I'm really enjoying that process. So using more the the theoretical side of my brain and, and the writing um, for myself, not just for work, which has been really cool to, to reopen that door. Yeah. Scary, but, <laughs> but also very enlightening. Yeah. And you write beautifully and, I can definitely see the the co the content strategist and writer in there as well, the succinctness <laughs> and the on point. Um, something that I'm still struggling with is like talking and writing too much. Like, how do I? <laughs> when do I get to the point? It's it's really wonderful to read your your articles. Mm. No, you're very much a storyteller in your writing. Yeah. To to our conversation be before what you were saying that like writing two words for a button can take you hours. Same. Mm. Like for me. I can write, I can write so much, but really figuring out to say something in a, in a short amount of time or really few words is still something that I'm working on. Um, and Me probably too. Will forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So you've, you've worked in, in marketing roles and content roles, uh, mm -hmm. in small companies, um, <laughs> and startups. What, what have been your biggest kind of moments of learning in your journey? It's interesting because. I, when I graduated, I was convinced that I wanted to work in the arts and that would where that would be where I get the most artistic freedom and where I could be expressive and continue the journey of learning about arts and being immersed in it. And I've actually found that being in tech, specifically prop tech, which sounds crazy, I've actually been way more creative. Mm. Um, I've been able to think about things way more broadly than I did. And obviously this is just taking into my experience. I, I know everyone has different experiences and every artistic company is different. Um, and there are many different ways that you can, you can work in the arts, but my specific um, background, I, I found that I, I actually fell more into quote unquote corporate mm. in the artistic places that I work, whether they were theaters or art galleries, it very much felt like, um, whilst creating, I mean, like these places were creating incredible art and, and, um, promoting art in their, uh, specific regions at the same time, it was very much a business, right? Um, often some to make money, some not some to build presence. Um, but what I love about prop tech is that we're, we're solving a problem. The same with food tech, right? We, we're all united. We come into work every morning and we're like, okay, we're solving the problem of this um, messy ecosystem of home buying. 
And we're all dedicated to solving that problem in multiple different ways. Everyone's role is different, right? But we're all trying to solve that problem. And we can be as creative as we want, as crazy as we want to a limit. Um, so like whether that's creating workshops to build screens and having like leadership and engineers and having everyone use Miro to, to create a product, you know, um, I didn't get that experience in the, in the arts jobs that I was in. Um, so I feel like one of my biggest learning is that you can be creative in a non-creative job or like in a stereotypically non-creative space. Um, and it's so important to be creative in these non-creative places um, and break that stereotype because I really feel like Husby has been one of the most creative places I've been in since I graduated. Amazing, yeah. So let's move a little bit more onto the company side. Uh, I know that we're getting close to time. What do you think companies can do to interact more with the arts or promote artistic sensibilities in in their interactions and do you even think it's important to do so i do think it's important i i think having even just having people who have artistic sensibilities i don't think people need to have training in the arts to have these artistic sensibilities i think that um, I think that's why I actually I find tech startups so creative is because people come from so many different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. You don't get the stereotypical oh, as much. You don't get like the, the career path where someone has just been working their way up the ladder of this one specific path um, and haven't, hasn't tried anything else. A lot of the time in, in tech startups or in startups in general, you wear 500 different hats and no matter your seniority, you you got to do the work and you got to get creative because you don't have the resources or the money often. Um, so I think it's really important to make sure that these people um, are in these spaces, these tech spaces. And actually, this, this reminds me of um, a really amazing book called Ruined by Design. And it's about um, basically how design is complicit in a lot of the, the tech um, the big tech, so the Twitter, the Facebook, the the mm-hmm. Instagram, these these uh, these tech companies, like the huge ones, um, in the like design is complicit in making them not good places for humans. <laughs> um, we know that there are a lot of issues with social media, these kind of things, right? Um, and we have the power to change that too. Like we we can be complicit and we can know that, and then we can make a change. So mm. I think it's also important that. We have the people in these companies who are thinking, who are empathetic, who are user centric, who are thinking about the human, um, who really think further than the click, uh, who think like, what does this post do to a 12 year old girl who might see it? Like really thinking like to the end um, mm-hmm. and thinking about different use cases and, and really thinking through journeys. Um, so I think it's really important that we have people, whether they're trained in the arts or whether they're just creative thinkers, outside of the box thinkers, empathetic, uh, emotionally intelligent, like, like just having these attributes, I think is so important in companies, especially big tech um, and these places that are making decisions. So politics, uh, consultancies, I think everywhere can benefit from having, having people thinking uh, creatively um, and thinking about the human. Um, and what can what can businesses do to encourage people to have that kind of to bring in those sensibilities? Because I know that often mm-hmm. in corporate settings or maybe in startups as well, uh, the the amount of work or the pace at which everything goes kind of usually can remove leadership from from the team in a in a weird and and surprising way, and so that can create environments where people don't feel comfortable to bring their whole self to to their job or to bring in that artistic sensibility what can leaders founders companies do to make sure that people can bring can bring that into their job and into their daily interactions yeah it's a great question Hmm. i think a lot of it is fostered within culture of companies Mm -hmm. um but i think also from maybe a a bottom-up approach uh going back to data actually um, I think we can use data 
to prove that human-centric design or human-centric thinking is important. Um, a lot of the time, leadership or, or growth is driven by numbers. Hmm. So if, if the creative world can also muster around these numbers and these data points, then we also have that power. Um, and I think this is one of the, the downfalls of our creative world is that we, we haven't always backed ourselves up with data, um, mm -hmm. which I think is, is cool coming into marketing because I learned so much about <laughs> numbers, which I <laughs> never thought of before, not my strong point. Um, but now it's really helpful to, to be like, oh no, actually this, this is better, not only for the, the human at the end of it, but also for the business because human centric design or or human thinking is uh is going to make them have a better experience it's going to make them buy more products going to make them tell their friends about it like if you can prove that um obviously that's that's a luxury not not everyone has um and it takes the company already to have hired these people um yes yeah, it's, it's a really great question um yeah but i think you you answered it i mean there is in a way that you can pull on that data and if you feel you're in a situation or in an environment where um, you want to bring that in but you're not sure if you can uh, going to a supervisor manager or if you have a direct line to to mm -hmm. a founder um, going to them and asking for a conversation and asking why aren't we doing it this way uh, and then have that data in your back pocket and say because according to this we can optimize or maximize profits, revenue, people's yeah. happiness, satisfaction, um, all of those things. I, so yeah, I think that you, you did answer that question uh, in a <laughs> quite beautiful way. Um, to, to turn that around then, what do mm -hmm. you think um, people can do uh, who, who are coming from the arts but are wanting to switch into a different industry? Um, what can they do to leverage their sensibilities? Um, how can they present themselves to, mm -hmm. to make sure that that, that their expertise get conveyed? Also a great question. Um, I think, again, a lot of the arts, when you come out of the arts, you don't think about your skills holistic, holistically, right? Like, so your mm. skills, often it's like, oh, you're, if you're an actor, then your skill is acting. But no, you're empathetic, you're dedicated, you, you're time management, you're process oriented. You know, the, there are so many skills that come with that, that you have mm -hmm. to learn. It's not just about how well you recite a monologue on stage. Um, so I think it's also sitting down and thinking through the skills that you have that are translatable um, and, and seeing where that fits into the, to the world. Um, for example, for me, I knew that I, I wanted to be creative, some, in some sense be creative, using words um, and uh, and problem solving, right? So where can I use these skills? Um, how can I utilize them? I, I tested marketing. It wasn't quite the right fit, but there was that something, something felt right, but other things felt wrong. And then I discovered content design and then I was like, okay, this is where I fit. So I think it's a, a trial and error, a discovery and a, a really thinking through the skills that you have because um, it is a, the arts, all of them have our discipline. Um, it's not just a, um, what's the word? A, the opposite a of theory. Or a, ah, yeah. It's a practice. Yeah. Not just a practice, but the, it, it's so many more things. Hmm. Um, and not to be like put in a box, um, and be proud of it. I think often, uh, people who, try to transition to maybe a corporate world or maybe shy about the fact that they studied the arts or no, it's a really rigorous training and you learn a lot and, and it's not just prancing around a rehearsal room or, <laughs> or whatever. It's there, there are skills that you have and, and there you can show them like, and they can have impact on the business and you can, you can really show your worth. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's also confidence in, in being able to do the switch. It's very doable. There's lots of us out there who have done it. And also that it doesn't mean losing your creativity. It doesn't mean that now you're gonna wear a suit to work and have to clock in and clock out at certain times and carry a briefcase, like not at all. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah. There, yeah. there is a, I think the, the, the corporate world and these other spaces that maybe artists don't dwell in as often, it's really important that we do dwell there, that we do, yeah. that we do, uh, use our talents in these spaces too. Yeah. And even if it's just a part-time job to, to, I don't know, be able to halt the process and ask people to think about the user at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah really really kind of just bringing your full self to to a job and being courageous enough to to interject and say i don't think that this is going to achieve the goal we want to achieve or this is not you're not actually saying you're not doing what you're saying um and calling that out i think acting really helps you learn that too you can see a good actor will disappear on a stage and an audience who sees a bad actor they 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 can see through the mirage mm -hmm. or through that um, the character that they're trying to put up if they're not fully committed to it and if they're not doing what they're feeling or feeling what they're doing. Um, yeah, so I think that there, there's so much potential in that to bring that to, to our businesses. All right, so then, then this is my last question for, for our last two questions uh, for our conversation. Uh, but I'm sure maybe you'll appear again in this podcast in a couple of years to, to catch up with you. Um, what are your next big milestones and what intentions are you setting for them? Yeah, this is as right now we're, we're thinking of the, the start of Q4. <laughs> so like very <laughs> much in the, the business sense, this, this is what we've been thinking about. And, and even uh, within the team building our own, um, our own career path and what that means and what that looks like. So it's something I've been thinking a lot about recently. Um, and I, my biggest goal is to, um, short to long term, I guess, is to be a representative for content design um, and UX content strategy in the MENA region specifically. Um, it's still a growing field here and uh, it's being implemented, but I think we, we could be more, <laughs> there could be more <laughs> of us. And I think it's important that there are more of us uh, um, repping the user and the, the human at the other side of technology. So I feel like that's my short to long-term focus on a personal level linked to career is to, to really be the, to be a voice of content design in the region um, and share the knowledge that I have from the transition from marketing to content design and um, the importance of, of the work that we do. Um, and I'm doing that both internally in the, in the company and as a team, and then also trying to do that externally too, through, through medium, through LinkedIn, through these podcasts, through, through like <laughs> just, just speaking about it. Um, and then I think long, long, long term or broad vision, I hope it's not long, long term, but broader vision is that we're more human centric in tech and that we do a better job of the information we put out there, whether that's content, whether that's design, whether that's social media. Um, I think it's so important right now and going forward that we're really intentional about what we share um, and what we're putting out into the world and how it can be perceived and how it might be used um, because it's just so much <laughs> <laughs> uh, and words have power. So I, I would love to be someone doing good in that sense. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation and for spending time with me. Always a pleasure. For the listeners, if you want to learn more about Henny, you can follow her on LinkedIn and read her writing on Medium. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Arts in Business. Episodes are being released weekly, so make sure to follow or subscribe. I hope you have a great week ahead of you.